let's pray. Yeah? Ah, uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing us here. Um, thank you for giving us the ability and the space to be able to have conversations that honor you, that bring us closer to the truths of reality. Lord, please reveal truths to us in your spirit, not just in our logic of our minds and what we think for ourselves, but please, God, allow us to understand uh, spiritual things and spiritual truths, Lord. Um and, and see reality and truth for what it is, Lord. So thank you for bringing us here today. Please bless this podcast episode. What's up, y'all? Um, yeah, thank you, Jesus, right? Uh, I'm here with Gage Sadler. Sadler, that man. Um, <laughs> Gage is a soon-to-be Texas A&M graduate. I am. Three you're, months out. That is wild, bro. You're and, telling me, man. <laughs> and you're going into law school after this. I am and hoping to intern in D.C. or Austin for yeah, the spring, and then yeah. law school it is. A little uh, microphone education here. You want it about a fist distance from your mouth, and so, uh, sure. yeah, and it's a front-facing mic, so if you talk to the top, you're not going to get that high-quality right. audio. So How's that? Yeah, and you can just adjust it wherever as well. But uh, so you're also a student member of or a, a leader for – Students for Trump, is that what it's called? I am, yes. I'm the vice president of okay. Students for Trump at Texas A&M. So let's just start with that. Like, What led you to want to be so bold about your political stances, ideologies, and, and things of that nature? Yeah, well, man, I've been researching, studying, volunteering, and serving in political capacities since about the eighth grade. Um, I first took interest in about seventh grade because um, I just happened to come across the presidential debate on TV um, for the 2012 Republican primaries. And I flipped it on and I was just fascinated by the complexity of the topics, the importance of the topics, mm. the differing views between even different Republican candidates. There's so many diversity, so much diversity of opinion. Um, I just said, man, this is really high stakes and consequential stuff yeah and that's when i started to really get involved i volunteer on my first uh campaign i think my sophomore year of high school or junior year of high school for a local sheriff's candidate um volunteered for governor abbott's campaign in 2018 did some block walking on his behalf and uh really wanted to be involved in the election this cycle um because again i just see it as being extremely consequential And so, so what I, what what really brought you to that realization of the importance? Because I, I think I was in a similar situation of like, well, I, I don't really have time to get into politics. I don't really have time to f- to see what the ideas and the policies of certain candidates are. I'm just gonna kind of live and let be. People who care about that care about that. People who don't don't. And then these kind of crazy events in recent times that got me like okay i need to pay attention is that similar to what happened with you or was it just a realization of dang this might be important to like really bring these uh true ideas into this field yeah i mean like i said i got involved several years ago and so i think i just think it's a passion of mine man Mm. i just see it as a uh, means through which I can affect change for people. Um, 
I can't tell you, you know, what makes politics your niche. I'm like, because there are definitely other ways to make change. True. Um, but there's some certainly something to be said about the legislative process because mm. it affects so many people. Um, but definitely, I think in the past four years or so, like you said, my interest has been even more heightened because of such consequential things happening, such unusual things. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think a lot of people had more of a laid-back mentality until, yeah, they started – it started to be get to a place where they couldn't help but pay attention. Mm. It, it was just everywhere. Um, yeah. It was like press conference after press conference, like coronavirus briefing over coronavirus briefing. Exactly. And then, you know, uh, I, I think – the pro for me, I think what I see from a lot of people is this comfortability. It's like we're used to not having to worry about it because people in the past have worried about it for us to set us up in this place of comfortability where it's like, oh, well, America is just going to keep running. Right. But what people don't realize is this is a social experiment mm -hmm. of about a little over 200 years of establishment. You Which know, in the grand scheme of world <laughs> history is not that long. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you think back to like ancient Rome, ancient Greece, I mean, those places were they were in existence for so much longer. And I mean, those governments eventually collapsed. Mm. And so, I mean, it is a social experiment. That's how the founders envisioned it. Um, you know, they envisioned a union that would become more and more perfect because they knew it wasn't perfect. Yeah, it's imperfect. And it's up to us to progressively make it better um yeah there's so, a lot on the line yeah so we we could talk about all the different issues and ideas and ideologies and all of that but i think that's what people focus on most mm -hmm. what i'd like to focus on in this podcast specifically is where do the true solutions to maybe these deeper heart issues lie do you think like I think every you know everything is an expression every reaction of a human being is an expression of their past traumatic experiences and people have certain ideological ideological beliefs many times based upon their mo own emotional reactions to certain things their own anecdotal experiences not necessarily looking at it from an objective truth standpoint and I think, really, I don't think it's about, like, coming to a midpoint. I, I don't think it's ever been about, like, the left and or the left and the right coming and saying, well, where can we, like, where can we come to a uh, an agreement here? I, I think it's something entirely different. I think it's, it may be, and I want to get your input on this, it may be something more divine in nature. It may be this, maybe we're focused on the symptom rather than the disease itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very, very good point. Um, our world is broken in a lot of ways. Mm. And a lot of times you see people release that frustration in not so healthy ways. Um, you know, I, the rioting that's been going on, a lot of that, um, obviously I'm not for rioting and I don't think many people are, but 
I've heard it said, you know, when people not necessarily making a defense of it, but trying to explain it, mm. they'll say, you know, historically in the United States, uh, black Americans have been disenfranchised, whether it was enslavement and then Jim Crow and then um, some of the racism that's existed since then. And it's kind of what you're saying. It's like that a lot of the black communities in this position where they are just angry and, you know, they're releasing it in some cases mm. in a way that isn't constructive. But it's hard for them to channel that anger and frustration in a constructive way because things have been going on for so long. Sure. And that's just one very prevalent example that's going on right now. Um, but I think a lot of times people's political, uh, I guess the way they express their political views does come very much from a heart issue in ways they've mm. been impacted personally in the past. Uh, I was talking to just one girl as we table on campus as far as students for Trump. Um, the tabling crew goes out a few times a week. And uh, this student came up to me. We get approached by people who agree most of the time because most of the time people who disagree aren't going to take the time to walk up to us. But every now and then we'll have people that disagree come up and talk to us as well. And um, this girl came up and the first thing she said, the first word out of her, her mouth was, why? Mm. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, you know, what do you mean? I just kind of yeah. wanted her to elaborate. And uh, she goes, why Trump? And uh, in situations like that, I try to go by the words of James and be quick to hear, slow to speak. Sure, sure. A lot yeah. of times people just want to be heard. And uh, I also like to disprove the media stereotype of Trump supporters being sort of these domineering, mm. um, you know, in-your-face type of people because I don't believe that um, most Trump supporters are. I know I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, me either. Um, and so, yeah, I just asked her, well, you tell me, like, why not? Yeah. And she said, well, you know, there's just so much pain in this country, so much destruction in our streets. And I said, okay, I agree. I said, but I think it's a little misguided to blame the president for these things that have been happening for decades before he took office and that in a lot of ways he's taken steps to address. And she goes, well, what about the border, which mm. for a lot of people is a huge issue. Right. And uh, they think it – or I don't want to say they in generalized, but some people – assume that the border issue signifies some sort of racism. Exactly. And I think, I don't know if that's necessarily what she was getting okay. at, but uh, she was getting at the, I guess, she was basically calling a lot of Trump's policies inhumane mm. and specifically referencing uh, the, vid the pictures that were going around of kids in cages, right. which I think most conservatives were pretty disgusted by. I mean, nobody else could see it little kid in a cage, right, yeah. or in a whatever you want to call it. Um, but she mentioned that, and so I was like, well, you know, um, those were actually started in previous administrations, that policy of separating kids from their families, and President Trump actually signed an executive order to let the kids stay with their parents. And uh, it was just interesting because I don't, I'm not sure if she knew that, but yeah. just me letting her speak first – made her more receptive, I think. Mm. What what happened after that? We continued to talk, and um, she said, well, she 
wanted to bring up LGBT issues, sure. and so we talked about that. Um, she said she was gay, and so we kind of talked through what that looked like as far as Trump's stances on those things. And um, I actually told her, you know, in a lot of ways, he's one of the most pro-gay Republican presidents of all time. I mean, you know, he, a lot of in a lot of ways, he was much more hands off on those issues. Um, but I think that you know, a lot of times the media portrays conservatives as um, you know, you said racist. They also portray us many times as homophobic. And, mm. um, I think that she kind of has been reading a lot of that stuff for, I mean, I don't know how long, but uh, it was neat, like I said, to just let her talk and yeah. then kind of present her with counterpoints to has consider. It, has uh, that kind of changed your, like, view on people themselves like being out on campus having these conversations probably getting all different types of people come and talk all different types of conversations maybe some more civil than others like what has that done to like because you're taking the time to talk to people yeah. you know um you're supporting a, a, you're, you're in support of an organization that is supporting the re-election of uh our, our current president our current administration Right. But you're also s sitting there and, you know, telling me right now that you're having these objective conversations of like, OK, like, let me hear her out first. Mm -hmm. What has that done to your understanding of where people are at in general, regardless of political views? Yeah, I think the first thing it's done for me is just give me a lot of hope in our generation, because a lot of times the media and you know specific cases we see kind of make you lose hope because you're like man like you know we're a bunch of young democratic <laughs> right. socialists right yeah, yeah. which is another organization on campus but um you just think golly <laughs> like our generation is so far gone and then you have these conversations where people are actually pretty reasonable at least right. in texas a&m i don't know <laughs> going to uc berkeley or <laughs> tu it might be <laughs> a little, a little different. different but uh it's definitely given me hope because people are far more reasonable mm. than just looking at the news or reading twitter well and that's what that's what we need right now mm -hmm. is hope and it's we like do. how do we find the hope that's i guess that's what i'm searching for in this conversation because i mean being young you know s uh, near to graduate students from a top tier university w we're way more influential than we think yeah. and, and we're going to be leading like in the next, like through the next five years, we're leading the, like, the front lines of basically cultural ideologies, mm -hmm. because everybody looks to like the twenty-five-year-olds for like it, when you ask anybody like what age would you want to go back to, twenty-one to twenty-seven, something like that. Yeah, you know, it's like your prime. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, regardless of not if you think by hearing everybody say oh well you're young like uh, you're just too young to be wise enough there's mm -hmm. they're secretly like really looking to you for some guidance on things it's it's like when you know y you start to to grow and this mentorship relationship with your parents starts to shift in a sense and whenever they become more open to learning from you as well because then you you know you have like i'm 23 so now I have 23 years of life experience, which is significant. Yeah. It is a good chunk of time. And it's like, and if we are living life 
through the lens of the Spirit, we have things to teach people and, and to guide people if they're willing to uh, let that be a part of it. But I do, you know, I want to, I want to kind of hone in on what you were saying is this like slow to speak, yeah. being slow to speak, slow to react, not reactionary, not being in this like, I feel a certain way, so I'm going to do something right now. Yeah. Because like we know in the scriptures, the heart, the emotions of a man, man as in mankind, not a man, woman, as, uh, from of mankind is the most deceitful part of us. Yeah. Because it's hard to understand. It's hard to hone in. You know, it's hard to pinpoint what is true and what is false because you just feel. There's no tangible, there's nothing tangible about it. You know, it's like, is this like a solid? Yeah. Is this liquid in this cup? Yeah. That's two tangible things. But emotions, are they true or false? Hard to really pinpoint that easily. That's why we have so many conversations of ideological things because if it morality and those questions were as easy as yes or no like as e as, as observables then it would be super easy right. and so i, I want to know what you think of like because you you mentioned the 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 rioting and i think many times people act without understanding what the consequences are of said action right and I was listening to Tim Kennedy talk on Joe Rogan's podcast uh, maybe like five days ago. And he was mentioning something very interesting that I never had thought of, um, which is the economic impact of the basically demolition, <laughs> destruction of your own city. Yeah. So let's say you are an african-american a black man in america right now or any type of race low income though and you are fed up with what's going on allegedly and you decide to partake in a riot that destroys local businesses that destroys city infrastructure and all of these things if you look back at the statistical data on the epicenters of the riots of rodney king Still, 50 you know, years later, they have not seen full economic recovery of those areas, which wow. pushes those people deeper into an impoverished state. Yeah. This includes black business owners. Well, and, that, and that's, exactly what owners. I'm, that's exactly what I'm getting at, is if we want the empowerment of black Americans, the destruction of economic epicenters of black communities is not the answer it simply is not yeah. and it, it, it's going to take a very long time like people don't realize it's not just going to be five years when businesses decide to move back in mm -hmm. to these areas it's going to be 50 years before businesses want to work there i'm not going to put you know my business downtown portland yeah i was going to say it's take a it's <laughs> gonna take a generation just yeah. to forget what happened right is mm -hmm. This generation is not going to be comfortable moving their businesses back there. Um, yeah, that is one of the worst things, I think, to come of this is that there is that pent-up frustration from, I guess, a uh, long history of, of that group of people being uh, disenfranchised and just 
you know, recently, I mean, when you think about it, the Civil Rights Act was a generation ago. Sure. I mean, my grandparents were 25, they were my age when the Civil Rights Act was passed. And so just when you look at the fact that that group has just recently been given equal rights and full protection under the law, that's a lot of built-up frustration. But it's let out in a way that hurts them even more. Mm. It's like self-sabotage, and it breaks my heart to see pictures of like when President Trump went and visited Kenosha. You see him with these officials standing in the middle of what was once a business, but it's just ash mm. and destruction. And a lot, in a lot of cases, these were black-owned businesses. And it's it's painful for me to watch. I can't imagine how painful it is for other black community yeah. leaders to watch. Well, it seems to be a disconnect there from reality, right? And I think that's what we're seeing. How so? It's not sound thinking or judgment that are leading us to react in a certain way, but in a sense, it seems like it's social programming and bad leadership that lead people to a, s a certain, like, or groups of people to do a certain thing these days. Like, this idea of what is real, like, this subjective morality, I think, is, in a sense, kind of the root cause to all of this because it's no longer what is true and what is false. It's what is true to you, 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 all these people. And then you get this disconnect of understanding of X plus Y equals Z. Yeah. Riding plus burning down buildings equals uh, a dip in economic status for the area. Like this mm -hmm. is a misunder like misunderstanding in that point. Well, and I think that there's a... Um, that in everything in life, there's kind of that disconnect between our actions and the direct um, effects of those mm. actions. Yeah. And I think that that is just one reason why we really need God, mm. because he can see what the effects are going to be. He mm. sees our hurting and our brokenness and wants to help us, but when he sees us... Um, actively going against his um his love and his plan he can only do so much in order to to be there for us when we're going to actively say okay i'm going to destroy this business or i'm going to choose to live in immorality or i'm going to choose all of these things that go against god even though you might not think of it that way it creates the effect of um, of a life of brokenness and yeah. frustration and anger both towards the world around you because you're living as a victim but also to God himself when he was the one that was warning you against the actions that led you to that place to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and that just reminded me of it. Um, but I said, you know, for so much of my life, I grew up believing, you know, God tells us this because he just wants to be a buzzkill. Right, you know, right. I think is what a lot of people think, like, wow, really? You can't do that? That sucks. <laughs> can't do that? That sucks. All right, God, fine. Yeah. Like, I'll settle for, you know, less than the rest of the world. Mm. And you feel like you're not getting the full, I guess, measure out of life. And then, I guess, in the 21 years that I've been alive, it's been enough 
time to realize like after making several missteps in my life i'm like actually god's protecting us right like, yeah he wasn't trying to keep eve from having this full godly knowledge right by preventing her from eating that apple he was protecting her from something bad and trying to actually help her experience the fullness of life and like i said after making a few missteps and saying well you know right there i put my will above god's will i put my desires mm. over god's desires for my life and it went wrong and it did there too and it did there mm. and i'm like you know what if i had instead of in that moment putting my desires above god's if i had put if i had elevated his desires I could have avo avoided yeah. that whole scenario that yeah. led me down a bad path. And the question people have, right, is, well, how do I know God's desires? Mm. And, <laughs> I mean, we kind of know this, like, looking to the scriptures, but I think what you're talking about here is a balance. It, it's literally, it always, it's so weird how everything is this synergistic connected storyline and puzzle piece with man like mm -hmm. our like sinful nature right our our uh, the, the way that cultures progress and then fall and and uh, empires grow and seems to all always be connected back to the first sin which yeah. is wanting to be our own god pride i mean yeah and it's so fascinating because what you see is we want to, we're quick to make decisions because we feel like if we don't do something, nothing will happen. Mm -hmm. And many times, like, it's crazy. Like, people talk about the, how the gospel is, like, basically understanding flipped on its head a little bit or, like, worldview flipped on its head. Like, it's a it's the upside down kingdom it's like you rule by serving right yeah and it's almost like you make movement happen by not moving mm -hmm. by walking you run by walking yeah you uh you because think about it this way if i'm trying to get something changed and i go and i like let's say i uh am unhappy about something or, or whatever I'm I'm I want to control my circumstance that's one person in the midst of what eight billion on this earth <laughs> let alone all the non person or people affected things that go around natural disasters all of that stuff but instead if I s take a step back and say hey God where do you want me to walk and how does this fit into these puzzle pieces that you're laying out in front of me? Then it starts to be not a one versus like, this is independence. I'm, I'm here on my own. Like I'm an independent man. I'm doing self-made. It goes to like, kind of like what we were talking about is when you realize, and, and we were talking about this on the last podcast is when you realize that you're not the center of the story, then yeah. you and I are like, helping each other towards propelling this joint effort which is jesus's glorification and the thing is we're seeing the the direct effects of removing god from the center of our lives removing god from the center mm. of our country removing god from the center of the world we're seeing the effects of 
people losing sight of God and putting other things above God as idols, whether it be fame or money or um, really anything. Mm. Anything above God is basically what is ruining our country you're in a generalized form. You're 100% right, Caleb. We, we are seeing that. We are watching that. Mm-hmm. And it's like something we've been told about since we were young. Like when I just remember like, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember exactly where this was, but it's like when when you see them taking God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, that's when you're gonna see things go bad. And it's like literally we're seeing that. It's it's so crazy how you go from a kid to to an adult now, and within that time period, we're like on the wave of this crazy cosmic transition that's happening in America. Yeah, there's and a big movement to get the words under God taken out of the Pledge of Allegiance. I believe they took it out, actually, at the Democratic yeah. na- National Convention, which they is did. wild. And it's becoming the, the trend. And that's that's concerning, not just from a governmental point of view, because our rights come from God, not government, is what gives us inalienable mm. rights, but also from just a human-to-human uh, point of view, which I think is what Caleb was kind of talking about. Because, I mean, when you take your eyes off God, when you become the center of the story, like you were saying, there are many, many things that happen. Pride takes root. Um, identity issues identity issues take root because you start to find all your worth and your accomplishments and none of us is perfect we inevitably fail and so that leads to self-hate and self-loathing because you're like wow like i'm worthless i'm a piece of crap because i didn't do that (laughs) or that and i'm guilty of that because i'm a perfectionist i do that way too often um but yeah it just leads to so many bad things at least to subjective morality like you said because if i'm the center of the story i make my own rules yeah Something I, I so I, w- I want to transition to to uh, this other topic, but amidst that transition, do you, where do you think the the Christ follower places their political beliefs, or like their their should we be active in government decision making? Should we care about these things? And then, um. I kind of want to get into identity politics a little bit, like within the church specifically, because we go the big, you know, broad thing. But I, I kind of see it happening in the church a little bit. We're moving away from this identity centered in being a child of God, and that makes us all the same and equal. And then identity being found in, you know, even in, even this is crazy, even within the church, sexual orientation, color of your skin, you know what uh what gender you are like you know uh or if we look at denominations like what what worship do you like what mm. um what how do you feel about this issue or this issue should there be pews or chairs <laughs> and we're allowing these little things that aren't important in the grand scheme of things to divide us completely yeah right the beauty of, of the gospel right is that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave, nor free. I mean, we're all one in Christ. Mm. And so it, in terms of the church, that should always, that identity in Christ, like you said, when you get into the the earthly, I guess, attributes, you lose sight of the eternal attributes, which is being all children of God united mm. in that family, all part of the same family. Um, yeah, so I totally think that that, I've seen what you mean, but I think that identity in Christ has to always come first. Um, of course, you know, 
you can be proud to be who you are. I mean, you know, I'm proud to be a Texas Aggie. You can be right. proud. <laughs> you can be proud of your earthly attributes. I'm proud um, to be an American. <laughs> you can be proud to be an American. I'm very <laughs> proud to be an American. But at the end of the day, in, a, in the context of the faith, which is what you're talking about, that oneness in Christ, that unity, is crucial. Because mm. if the church isn't together, then, I mean, what do we have? The church is one of the most persecuted groups. It has been since its founding worldwide, one of the most persecuted groups. Um, thankfully, less so in America than almost any other place um, because of our inalienable right, again, that comes from God to religious liberty. Um, but about to answer your question, you know, how involved should Christians be in the political process? I think that these COVID restrictions and the usurpation of power by the government in this particular context has shown maybe more than ever in recent memory how crucial it is for Christ followers to be involved in politics. And um, I think a great example of that that I've been following pretty closely is Grace Community Church and mm. um, it's near Los Angeles. Do you follow John MacArthur at all? Uh, you've mentioned him quite a bit. Okay, because I, I follow him. He's just a phenomenal teacher, extremely knowledgeable of the Bible, wise. He's about 80 years old now, so he's been around for a while. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, it's interesting because, I mean, he's always had a pretty good following. But in the past three months or so, he's gotten so much more traction even mm. because the county of Los Angeles, if you look mm. it up, has been trying to get a court injunction issued against his church so that they can't have in-person services. Mm. And, you know, I, I believe I was reading, and they've been having uh, social distancing practices in place. They've been requiring masks. And this just kind of came out of nowhere, and he's like, we've been meeting. We've just been following these guidelines. What do you mean we can't meet anymore? And then he cited a statistic, which I like a lot, because if you look at the statistics of this whole thing, it really makes you think, speaking of social experiments, is this some kind of social experiment? Because he said one one-hundredth of a percent of Californians have COVID, and they're not allowed to meet in person for church. He was like, w what are we doing, basically? Mm. And uh, he won the initial case. This court order just came out like two weeks ago. He won the, I believe it was the county of Los Angeles, um, went to an appeals court to have it retried, and they did issue the injunction. And he said, well, I don't believe that's constitutional, and we're under the authority of God. He calls us to meet. Like, So we're not going to listen. If we're persecuted, so be it. If I go to jail, he actually said, if I go to jail, I mean, I'll start a jail ministry. I've mm. done a lot of different <laughs> ministries, but never one in jail, so bring it on. He was like, the Apostle Paul did it, so I guess I can too. But yeah, he essentially said, you know, we're, we're taking a stand for the church, for religious liberty, and I look at it as a stand against tyranny. He said, we are going to meet because there's no reason for us not to. Um, if you want to stay home, you can stay home. We're going to require that people wear masks and social distance, but we're going to meet because that's our calling before the Lord. And I looked at that. Again, I've been following this guy for a while, just admiring his knowledge and wisdom and commitment to the faith, and I was like, golly like we need more people like that yeah more leaders like that to stand up and be involved um and he's been talking with um 
officials, President Trump actually, who's been talking to him, and President Trump actually said, you have my full backing, because uh, I think what they're trying to do to you is wrong. And uh, anyway, I think that that shows a prime example of and some more liberal state, California. Um, I know Christians go to Democrats, so you know, I'm not get, even getting into that. But California is just, as a fact, a more liberal state. Um, many leaders there don't err on the side of religious liberty always. And uh, I think that uh, Pastor MacArthur's situation really shows why mm. Christians need to be more involved, not just even in voting. Many Christians running for office. I mean, I plan on running for office shortly after graduating law school in four years. We need people in office that are committed to Christians, but all re- communities of faith, because religious liberty is one of the principal values, bedrock values our country was founded on, and we're seeing it whittled away. And in this case, using the coronavirus as an excuse, I would argue. Yeah. Dude, that that's fascinating. Do you know where they're currently at with that? Are they have they con- continued to gather and? Yeah, I mean they uh, they just got the court order maybe Saturday. I think. Okay, it was so this like is very late recent. Saturday night or something, and mm. so he's like, I mean, we got church in twelve hours. <laughs> right. so they still had it, and so they've only had it one time since the court um, issued the injunction. I read today that I believe he sued the county to say like mm. undo this we need to be able to have church in person um yeah so i think that he actually brought suit yeah it's been progressing so hopefully he comes out on top i don't see how constitutionally he couldn't um but it will be interesting to follow one of the concerning things to me has been and this is getting more into the christian realm than the political realm sure. but there have been some pastors who you know, have pretty much ceded that ground to the government of like, mm. you don't want us to meet? Okay, that's fine. We'll just live stream, we'll have small groups, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, I mean, it comes down to individual liberty for me. If someone is not at risk and they want to be able to go to church and, you know, not forsake the assembly, then Christian leaders should stand up pastors should stand up and say we're going to give our people the right to do that yeah to fulfill that calling if they're comfortable coming but to just do away with people's right to even decide whether or not they want a fellowship in person just to say all right whatever you want big brother like you want to take our right to worship away i'm fine with that it's like (laughs) and one pastor i was listening to today kind of give his justification for why he's done that why he said he actually said they're not having services for the rest of the year he said it wouldn't be loving to Mm. have services and i'm thinking i mean what's not loving about letting those who can show up show up those who don't it's not like you're forcing people to be there by opening up so i didn't get that whole argument but it's been interesting to follow to me like regardless of even political stance or anything it's like You could see this from like wherever you're at, just critically think. Mm-hmm. You could see things that aren't based in fact, but it's based in objective, like like a political objective. It's like mm-hmm. we, it, it's it's a crowd, it's a uh, mob mentality type thing. It's um, 
because when you look at there, I, I believe it was like Taiwan or something like that. Um, they don't require, they didn't require masks. They didn't do a lockdown and they had like three deaths. Wow. Because they were using basically, uh, asthma medication to, uh, take the inflammation out of their lungs. And then shortly after that, the older, the older at risk people recovered from, um, from this thing. Very simple solution. It's like put one and one together. Wow. Lungs are inflamed. We need to use a steroid, take the inflammation out, quick recovery. That's one of the um, cool things that yeah. President Trump has done. Not it was actually before the coronavirus. He passed a law called Right to Try, mm. and I believe what that means um, is that if someone is in a bad shape, I mean they're not their status isn't looking good health wise. I think it's even if a drug isn't approved by the FDA. I think it's the FDA. If that individual wants to try that drug because it could potentially sure. save their life according to the doctor but maybe it hasn't you know gone through all the trials yet whatever they can try it they can take that drug but if you know if they choose like, i'm gonna die, die if i don't what's <laughs> yeah. the l- risk yeah and so it's called right to try but that's been really cool yeah i don't and is that a recent thing man i think it was maybe within the last year maybe two okay but yeah people can read more into it but yeah that's the gist of it because i've heard certain do- like even like pharmacies restricting what doctors can order even like on that behalf but coming from like a family of doctors that really you know people's blind like following or allegiance to the medical industry just is wild to me Mm -hmm. like this knowing like seeing it from the inside and seeing that not every doctor is created equal. Not every pharmaceutical company has the interests of the people in mind. I would argue most don't. It's about the bottom dollar. I mean, you've heard all the controversial stuff uh, back in the day of the one particular g- gentleman that like monopolized insulin and then uh, like a thousand percent markup on it. And these people couldn't really get their insulin, and they had to pay a tremendous amount of money whenever it's super cheap anywhere else. And um, and so I see these things going on, and I'm like, gosh, if I wouldn't have been like blessed to be in this family and do my own self-research and have doctors willing to work with me on my understanding of my own body, and then them coming in and saying, oh, yeah, I think that would actually be a good solution – then I wouldn't be as healthy as I am right now because I had a lot of health issues. But I think one of the biggest things for from the health standpoint is I don't think media should be deciding what is good or not good for you. Like yeah. even on the like the va- vaccination standpoint, like there is evidence suggesting that a combination between genetic mutations on your DNA and the c- with the combination of a triggering event, most of the time, i.e. a vaccination when you are a baby, leads to autism. So essentially, you have a pre, uh, a pre, um, you have a genetic mutation that pre-exposes you to potentially having autism. 
and then you basically shove this needle in there and explode this crack in your genetic code already. Mm. So both have to occur. So it's like both people are saying, oh, it's not vaccinations and it is vaccinations are both right because mm. there's a third variable there as well. That's interesting. I've not heard that. I've heard, you know, the anti-vaxxers say, you know, that can lead to autism. But I've never heard anyone give like an actual explanation for why that could be the case. That's interesting. I yeah, and this comes from thousands of genetic reports of autistic children that all have this same genetic polymorphism or mutation mm-hmm. um, that have also been vaccinated. And uh, because, you know, frankly, if you don't right now, if you don't stop your, like, if you don't take precedence as a parent over your own kid's health by regulation or however they have it set up, your one-year-old baby, before it turns the age of one, will have about 67 different vaccinations. Wow. Including vaccinations, to pre- <laughs> including vaccinations to prevent sexually transmitted stuff. Wow. And that is... From when we were born to now, that is a huge, huge gap. Now, that's not to say you should go completely anti-vaccination. There is essential ones, uh, measles, mumps, malaria, all all these things. But, uh, but it's just thinking about things objectively, not just all of a sudden saying, "Oh, you're dumb at this," or "You're dumb." Like, let's look at the facts and see what's going on. Um, But we kind of rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's so good, man. Objective thinking is is not common nowadays. I mean, like you said, if you believe this, you're this. And that's one thing that tabling on campus with students for Trump has shown me is, Mm. you know, people who are concerned with this issue aren't this necessarily. Um, On our side too, I mean, we've got a very diverse students for Trump is a very diverse organization. compared to what a lot of people I think envision a conservative organiz- organization being. We've got um, Well, it was definitely different when I showed. So I went to one of your parties. Yeah, you w- did. Uh or like the party or uh it was like a semester kickoff. Yeah, kickoff for the organization. I went to one and dude, I told you I was not expecting to see <laughs> the type of people I was expecting everybody in like golf pants and <laughs> polos and like you know, a Titleist cap or something yeah, like right. that. And I was like, these are students for Trump? Like, we were just kicking back. Multicultural, multi, you know, ethnicities. Like, yeah, our tabling officer, uh, he, uh, he was playing some, I think, Latino music when you got there, which was pretty, <laughs> pretty fun. Just, and he was like dancing and stuff. He cracked me up, man. But I mean, yeah, we do. We have a lot of diversity. And, um, you know, sometimes the guy I just mentioned will be out there with us tabling and, um, he'll ask someone if they're for Trump or something, and if they say no, or anytime he's telling somebody bye, sometimes he'll say it in Spanish, like, Tengo buen dia, and they're like, what? because <laughs> <laughs> they don't expect it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm all for the objective thinking. I mean, you have to think objectively. Yeah. Otherwise, what is your opinion? Yeah. It's just an opinion because someone told you to have it, whether it's uh, about the police, all, peop- all police are bad. I don't know if anybody really believes that, but I believe a lot of people think most police are bad. I mean, evidently. And any objective look at that says, mm, no. I believe last year, and I wish these 12 hadn't happened. I don't know the details of each one, but 12 unarmed black men were killed last year, which, like I said, 
too many, but 12. Yeah. And out of how many million? Painting all police officers with this broad brush. Um, yeah, it's just a general it's lack yeah. of objectivity. And, and you could say it for but the rioters, too. People painting right. everyone out there as rioters and looters. Well, no, there were some peaceful protesters, but there were also some not so peaceful. Yeah. Well, and what I kind of discovered, you know, and we've talked about this a little bit, is I don't think the solution is logic. You know, it doesn't seem to be that way. It's, it seems to be like a deeper heart issue for people. Yeah. Like, you know, like let's say you're talking to someone, you're like, you bring these facts. It's almost like they're irrelevant. So, like, my question is, like, how do we get to those deeper-rooted heart things? And maybe it is the gospel. You know, I think the answer is always the gospel. But from, like, a right. strategic standpoint, like, how do we hone in on, like, what is the issue here? Like, mm-hmm. well, That's why, like I told you, my approach, anytime I'm having a conversation with someone who disagrees with me on whatever it is, whether it's politics, um, I try to listen first because then I find that my words mean a lot more versus if I'm like, well, what about this fact? Do you know about this? And it's like mm. their ears aren't open yet because they're already thinking – about what you're going to say. They have this preconceived notion of what you're going to tell them, and they've already written you off. Versus if you say, I want to hear from you. It's like their ears open. It's like, okay, like this isn't what I expected from this guy. Um, But I believe it is a hard issue because, like you said, you can cite facts, and you're not going to change someone's mind. You change someone's mind on a heart-to-heart basis and making them feel valued and cared for and – you know, as Christ followers, that's sort of our calling. Some people don't have that calling on their lives, sadly. But, um, yeah, getting on the same level as someone, like you said, with a bottom-up leadership approach, mm. not a top-down, authoritative, I'm-better-than-you-approach in anything, but a bottom-up lifting up of the people around you um, to hear their concerns to address those concerns and make them feel like their their views are valid, even if you disagree. Sure, um, that goes a long way. And it's it's all about social discourse. It's all about yes. having a conversation and talking because even both being Christian with similar political ideologies as well. There's probably quite a bit I don't agree with you on, you know. There's probably deeper understanding you know about certain topics, and there's deeper understanding that I know about certain topics, and that's why we walk life together. We were, uh, you and I, walking around Traditions Country Club and walking around the neighborhood and just doing life, talking, talking mm-hmm. about what's going on in our lives. Like, what we came to the conclusion was is we need people, like. There's not there's not one person that's going to have all the revelation of truth. We need other people, and that's how God designed it, mm-hmm. was for us to interact and receive from other people and grow and learn. Because imagine if we started out all-knowing and all-great, you know? There would be no need for the saving grace of Christ. There would be no need for the sanctification process. There would be no need for relation, relational growth and and uh, keeping each other accountable and, and all of these things. And and so uh, one thing, like you see, is I think 
part of the the big agenda here is to silence people silence certain speeches but but not even from a political standpoint like from a like spiritual like what is the spirit in the air right now and it's we're not communicating as a as as a culture I've, yeah, I've shared my <laughs> slogan with you, make America talk again. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so important, man. Well, no, no. Um, dude, I would love to, like, touch on some of the topics you, we were talking about on that walk and how we need other people to speak into our lives. But more, um, more importantly, I think what – part of this issue is is people don't feel known people feel isolated they feel like there's no hope in their lives and so something i want you to kind of touch on is is that study you were talking about on uh the intimacy and vulnerability and the relationship between those two things yes um yeah so i was this summer had a lot of free time on my hands my internship was canceled due to covid um so did a lot of studying for the LSAT <laughs> for law school and then also watched some Netflix at night. And uh, I had heard a lot about Brene Brown in the last few years. Didn't really know who she was, didn't really know what she did. But um, at church a few times, the pastor would quote Brene Brown or I'd hear somebody else quote Brene Brown. I'd come across something on social media. And I was like, this sounds like a super intelligent woman with a lot of useful wisdom. And so I came across a lecture on Netflix, and I'm like, Brene Brown, okay. And this is uh, something about vulnerability, I think, was the title. And so I start the show, and uh, she just has this hour-long lecture. Found out that she researches people, people's relationships, essentially, and their willingness to be vulnerable, um, and how they feel most known versus how they don't feel known, and she, so she does some really interesting research. She's a professor at U of H um, and, I believe, um, TU or UT Austin. And uh, so, yeah, very <laughs> – so just in case some people don't know, <laughs> that's what Aggies call it. But, um, yeah, so super smart lady. So I start watching, and uh, she's talking about the paradox between people's unwillingness to share what they feel most – uh, I guess insecure about mm. what they the things that they feel will make someone not want to be their friend, not want anything to do with them. Their unwillingness to share those things, but the irony that the only way people feel truly known and valued and establish truly beneficial relationships is by being vulnerable with someone. So there's this fear that if I'm vulnerable, I'm not going to be known because they're not going to want anything to do with me. But the irony is that if I don't share this, if I don't feel known by being vulnerable, then this relationship is just surface level and mm. almost meaningless, you could argue. Um, yeah, that was very, very interesting yeah. to hear her take. And she's done many, many studies on different survey respondents and yeah. So what so what she's basically getting at is that those who are the most vulnerable about who they are with people or or maybe th some things they're insecure about 
the deeper they feel known and accepted, but they're afraid if they are vulnerable, then they won't be known and ex- accepted. Right. So it's this crazy paradox of like, ah, uh, you know, I'm not going to let you in, but then you never get anywhere in that relationship. That's, I, I think that's fascinating. And it is, you know, it may, you know, play a part in what we're seeing in society right now of people not feeling known and, and accepted. And, and I think COVID's only, you know, exacerbated that problem because oh yeah i mean for pretty much all summer from march till almost august people had to distance from each other yeah. which is not very helpful well, for i being had a, known. a buddy stuck in la and oh. he started getting insomnia because he was like paranoid about everything that was going on and um just like really isolated out of church community, like strong Christian guy, but not in community, not didn't have a lot of friends or, or anything like that. And it started taking a serious toll on him, some uh, a toll on it that I've never seen happen to one of my friends before. And it's scary stuff. It's scary stuff to see what isolation can do. And, and another paradox on that, I think that builds on that, that basis is that there's studies that show the more interconnected we are through the internet, the less actually connected we feel. <laughs> so, or we actually are, because we're getting this false sense of connectivity. We're seeing everything all the time. We're always being able to message each other, but we're not having those deep, intimate conversations that we're having right now. Like, we're not sitting down, looking at each other in the eyes, caring for one another, and living real life together we're the most connected and the the most disconnected society that has ever been in history yeah (laughs) i think that's a fair statement for sure (laughs) well and here's something i had to learn so in my own life i was wanting people to be intimate with me and Mm -hmm. vulnerable about their own struggles and problems and in a way there was some like pride of oh i want to be able to help them um but the thing was, I wasn't willing to be vulnerable and intimate myself. Mm. So how can I expect someone to share their struggles, share their problems, and be open with me if I'm unwilling to do the same myself? Hmm. And m- who knows, maybe it's just me. But I feel like that is a struggle that we have as a generation and as a society to... One, expect people to do more in a relationship than we're willing to do ourselves. But two, um, just shut down ourselves completely and be um, present a false sense of perfection. Mm. Present a, oh, I'm perfect in every way and I don't need God, I don't need you, I don't need anything because I've got myself. And that's all I need. I can rely on my own strength. I can rely on my own self. But what we need to do is say, oh, everything God did was to create us for relationship with Mm -hmm. him and with each other. Mm -hmm. It's not good for man to be alone. Everything is about love, loving the Father, loving each other. That's the greatest commandment. And so if we want to receive love through intimate connection, then we need to be able to give love. We need to be able to give vulnerability and intimacy and openness. 
And that is how we create that intimacy and that connection. Mm. Amen. And there are theories about that. I took a class in interpersonal communication at A&M, um, and the teacher had this whole unit on basically what you're saying, Caleb, which is just, you know, a lot of times you give, you get what you give in a relationship. And I think she had like, mm. it's been a couple semesters, but I believe there were like different levels of giving and it basically said like once someone brings it up to here then the other person is going to meet that usually um but you can't expect someone to take it to here until you do um yeah i wish the yeah. name of the theory. well and it's it brings up something caleb and i and and and, and my girlfriend and i've been talking about for uh, uh, quite a few days is just this idea of like not having a single agenda like why am i friends with someone you know, is it because I just want to get to know them? Yeah. Or is it because they can advance my business? Mm -hmm. Or is it because they're a great networking asset? Or is it because they're gonna they're the popular person that I wanna be next to? You know, it's like we I think the first part about getting vulnerable with someone else is getting vulnerable with yourself and God. If we're not transparent with ourselves, how are we ever going to be transparent with other people? And then that translates to our outside. We're, I think we're in a time of confusion. People are confused and blinded by the truth. We need to be more rooted in, in reality, mm -hmm. like in truth. Like there is reality. There's such thing there as it. Is. <laughs> yeah, well, it goes back to what you were saying. You were talking about the different people have each their own truth. I mean, you know, it's a saying now, speak your truth, mm. um, which means different things in different contexts. But I always wonder, you know, why doesn't it just say speak the truth, truth. the truth? Like the truth is the truth. It supports Christians. What's that? It supports Christian Christianity. The truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the way the truth and the life, I guess you're right. Um, because I think when, when we look at all of these issues, the, the ultimate end is the persecution of God's people every time, or his, I, his ideals which are embodied by his? Because people. we're not fighting against each other, mm -hmm. we're fighting against the dark Elohim, and it sounds crazy. People are like, "Oh, here he goes talking about <laughs> demons." Guys, if you look over that stuff, you will have no defense. You have to understand your authority above these principalities. Yeah. These basically creatures in unseen realms that are here affecting us. It says, we do not fight against flesh and blood enemies, but the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. Mm -hmm. And so you have to think, okay, so what is satan's agenda to steal kill and destroy what do we see things being stolen people being killed and things being destroyed yep and but even more than that what is this cosmic power of evil really after it's to take as much from god as possible well i was gonna say <laughs> you said cosmic power of evil and i was yeah. gonna say to overpower the good mm. which is is god but yeah I, well i think it, I, I don't even think it's that i don't even think it's an overpower i well, think he can't right i think so. he knows that he's 
it's have you heard the crab in the bucket theory? I haven't. Well, I just I don't even know if it's a theory, but it's it's something that happened. <laughs> well, so if a cra- if you have a bucket of crabs and one somehow finds its way to climb out mm-hmm. and it's almost out, the other crabs will actually grab it and pull it back in. Interesting. Mhm. So I think it's more of a suicide mission for evil. I think it's a um I know where I'm going, but I hate all of God's children. I hate God so much that I'm going to strip as much away because I'm already lo- losing. The person that has nothing to lose will take everything. Yeah, because Satan, I think we had this conversation. Satan knows scripture, right? Mm. I think that was oh, talking yeah. with you about that. You know, when Jesus was tempted for the 40 days in the desert, Satan quoted scripture. He said, you know, it's written, he won't allow you to be harmed, so throw yourself off this cliff. Um, and, you know, Jesus says, well, it also says you won't tempt the Lord your God. And Satan was misinterpreting it. Right. Christ was properly quoting it. But, um, yeah, I think that there's definitely uh, this this effort by Satan to say, I know where I'm going. I know where I am. I know that, I, that in the end God's going to win, but I'm going to try to drag as many of his creation, as much of his creation down with me as I possibly can. Yeah. I don't know, would that be, would you say the devil's envious? I mean, I don't know. I think he's all of the above. Evil. Probably. I mean, he's the embodied man of this evil, so. Yeah, he's the opposer. Yeah. He opposes all good. The father of lies. Mm -hmm. Lies to us. Make us think his way's better. And I think, you know, this kind of tunes into, like, why, and and we gotta wrap this up in a second, but um, why we should be more adapt in scripture, why we should so like why the Bible says to to sow the words on into our heart to like really absorb it, have it there, you know, these truths, because truth is something that has fundamentally been laid out for us in order to consume. It's not for us to interpret, but it's the, the truth. It's one way. Yeah. And if we can soak that in so much to where we have this rock, this firm foundation, like everybody talks about, where we know what is wrong and what is right. We know, we, and even more than that, we understand biblical prophecy, which a lot of people don't ever read, you know, because they're like, oh, I'm, I'm just trying to be happy right now and going into all that prophecies of Daniel about the Antichrist and tribulation and all this stuff. That's just, mm, that's for someone else. I would beg to argue that it is very important for all Christians. It actually is a command by God to study those prophecies. And so if we see and we can tell what the times are, where things are going, we're not going to be as surprised if things go in the way that God said they would. Yeah. But we can also have this hope of God restoration and restoring power of all of creation that we know in the end there is victory every single time. In the end there is the resurrection of the dead. This is a literal thing. The, yeah. the, those who die in Christ will be raised from the dead yep. to yeah, share in the victory. I was I've been going through a study of the book of Colossians um, by Louis Giglio, pastor of Passion yeah. City Church, and uh, 
Dude, I, was, I wish I got to go to Passion 2020, man. Bro, me too. It was hype. Dude, my girlfriend went. Really? I saw I'm the video. I'm so jealous. I saw the video of Hillsong United performing at midnight. Oh. The fireworks went off all outside the stadium. Bro, and Robbie Zacharias, dude. Yeah, he was That would have been a dream. Yeah. So a that dream. That was one of the last big settings people really got to hear. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, what you're saying about, you know, writing scripture on the tablet of your heart i think there's a verse that says something to that effect just so that we know it and our deepest being is so crucial because like you said when we see our world essentially falling apart where we do what we can to ease the pain and to correct the course as much as possible to alleviate the suffering we see people going through at the end of the day it doesn't surprise us you know we don't have this ang- this crippling anxiety knowing that like Oh my gosh, like how are we going to address all these problems on our own might and fix and find solutions to all of what people are facing? Mm. It's like we don't have to. Like thank God we know we have this higher power who is giving us this um this empowerment of his might to go out and do his good work. Um but yeah, I mentioned going through that study of Colossians. I was looking back at Colossians 1 today. And um, it talks about Christ being before all things, and through him all things were made. And it mm-hmm. says Christ is supreme. Mm. Um, he's over everything. And that gives me so much comfort to know, especially when I'm thinking about these dark forces of Satan that are leading people astray to do terrible things and reject God's will. Um, I know that, hey, at the end of the day, Christ is supreme. God wins uh, Romans eight twenty eight. God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. Right. Um, this past summer, my brother, I know you and I talked about this. He went to the hospital sure. out of the blue with a MRSA infection, which mm. is a very severe form of staph, in his bloodstream. We didn't know it was in his bloodstream. His ankle was throbbing pretty bad. We thought he had broken it in a baseball tournament because it was after that weekend tournament, and we bring him to the hospital to uh, Texas Children's, and they did blood tests and said, he's got MRSA in his blood. And they called my parents at 3 a.m., mm. um, the I guess, morning after they sent him home. And they said, you got to get him up here now. And uh, they did. I mean, my parents hopped in the car as soon as they got the call. And they put him on the IVs with antibiotics. And uh, he was there for about 10 days. And uh, he was so ready to get out by the time he finally did get out. But if I hadn't, no, and there have been situations not quite like that. That was one of the worst situations of my life, having to yeah. think upon that every day that he was in there. And only one person could be there because of COVID. And, but if in that situation I hadn't had the confidence of knowing Christ is supreme, he works all things together for the good of those who love him, he is uh, sovereign, he's making the crooked places straight, he's healing he has healing powers. He's used them before. Lazarus was dead for three days, and he came. I mean, there's nothing impossible for him. And at the end of the day, if, God forbid, something had happened to my brother, which I don't even like to think about, yeah. but he was going to be in paradise. If I hadn't had that knowledge, mm. I can't imagine the anxiety I would have faced for those ten days. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, thank God. Yeah, but again, importance of writing it on your heart. Christ is supreme. He's written on my heart. And sometimes I forget it, and I start to get anxious and overwhelmed and stressed out. But eventually it comes back to me because it's written there. Hey, he's supreme. Mm. Chill out, man. Like, <laughs> he's got you. Yeah, and, and that's what, you know, I can so, sometimes, you know, a lot of the times I have to step away from political conversations or or the news or the media around these topics because it is anxiety driven makes you forget about the sovereignty of god that he is a sovereign ruler and it makes you focus on all the things that are going wrong and then you try to really you you, i at least i do i feel obligated to speak out like that reactional speaking out of this we got to do something about this. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Instead of, okay, wait one second. You know what the outcome is. Okay. Take a deep breath. What do you really need to do in this situation? What do these people need from you? Do they need you to correct their understanding of something? Or do they need you to show them that you care about them as a person? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that, he started getting un uncommon territory there because even us we're subject to uh being selfish being prideful and really thinking of people as worthless for certain beliefs or certain ideas or the inability to critically think or something like that and we can be like oh well they're a lost cause the fact that we're sitting here right now (laughs) and the the midst all this craziness means that our God that we sh- should be reflecting doesn't believe that these people are lost causes. Yeah. He's actually suspending his return in order for the fullness of faith to come to pass. Yeah, it says he's long-suffering <laughs> and patient toward mankind so that as many as can come to know him will. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. But I think, you know, greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of the day, we can disagree on a lot. We can agree on a lot. But I'm going to serve you and love you like Christ. And ultimately, that is how you win people over. That's yeah. the root of what you were saying drives so much of what we're seeing. So much of the pain in this country, the discord, the people releasing these emotions in bad ways. So many of them don't know Christ. Mm. When they see a radical love, they see a radical grace, and they hear the truth, it changes everything because it's different. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that listening and asking the right questions. Like, I think many times the best, I I mean, I think statistically the best learning style is self-discovery. Right? It's not someone telling you a fact and you studying that fact over and over until it integrates into your belief system. It's it's the actual process of self-discovery, coming to that conclusion on your own. So, like, maybe when we're having conversations with certain people, it's like, it's like you're listening and then you're asking, why do you believe that? Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll come up short. I'd say a lot of times they will. But, uh... Yeah, man, is there anything else you want to kind of, 
I, I know we're ch- we're having to cut this short, no, but uh, bro, I I really wanted it, maybe we'll have to just do it again, or <laughs> or maybe uh I, I don't know how much time we have, Caleb, probably none at all, right? Well, it is six fifty two. Yeah, I I really wanted to you know if you're comfortable with it and and if you're cool with it, Caleb, kind of venture into the uh some of the some of the topics we were talking about on that walk again specifically with um some recent events you know i'm kind of talking about that happened in your life yeah and how you responded to those um because on top of that what you were talking about with your brother i remember a video you made and this is in the midst of you kind of transitioning into a new season of life and then also this thing with your brother happening and so you're still like from from what you talked about, you were in still in this kind of like sore heartache kind of place, but being able to like, sur- like s- kind of step past that and say, hey, my brother's in need. I want to make him joyful. And then doing that, I think, with your mom, right, or your aunt. I don't know which one it was. Uh, the, the paddles <laughs> where y'all. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, trying to find joy in heartache. Yeah. And that's what we were really trying to do. Um, cause I, yeah, just gone through a breakup with somebody I thought I was going to be with for the rest of my life. And, you know, my w- world felt like it was crashing down. I was like, but it wasn't like just a, y- you were close to it. Yeah. You were close to that, like covenantual commitment, you know? Yeah. And then I just felt God leading me a different way. Yeah. And it was hard <laughs> to listen to that. Really hard. I mean, I can <laughs> I'm sure you can only imagine. But at the end of the day, I was like, that's, I mean, that's a conviction. I feel so convicted about it mm. that I have to do it. And it was not easy. It was uncomfortable, extremely uncomfortable. So, yeah, I was in the midst of dealing with that. And then uh, my brother, I mean, went to the hospital with this life-threatening infection. And then uh, prior to that infection, or after the, I went through that breakup, I was really doing a lot of second-guessing mm. God's faithfulness and his sovereignty and his concern for my situation. And, uh, of course, then you throw the virus on top of that, which everybody was going through, and it was like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I was doing just a lot of reflection and second-guessing God and uh, – it was like, you know, this whole incident with Gunner happened where he had to go to the hospital for that extended period of time. And it just brought me back to the present. Mm. And then I was like, okay, like if I don't have God, I don't have anything. Like I said earlier, if I hadn't had God through that situation, it would have been miserable even more than it already was. But um, I came out of Gunner after gunner situation thankfully after he was healed um by the great doctors at or by god through the great doctors and nurses Mm. at texas children in houston they were phenomenal so talented so knowledgeable um just did a very great job caring for him i was like god does have my back he's making a way when there seems to be no way Hope is not lost. The mm. future is bright. God is sovereign. He's all powerful. <laughs> um, life is good. <laughs> yeah. And I just had such a different mentality 
um, coming out of that place of darkness was my brother being sick because I was reoriented. I was reminded of what's important, who's number one, which is the Lord, and reminded of his steadfastness and his commitment mm. to me, which I was questioning. And it was like he was reassuring me, I got you. Mm. Like, even when you think I don't, there's a reason for everything you're going through, and it's because I'm leading you. And you may make mistakes, but a lot of your mistakes, I'm there with you. All of your mistakes, I'm there with you. And uh, even the ones you feel like were mistakes, maybe were just learning lessons. Mm. And I'm using those as steps to get you to where I'm bringing you, which is a sanctification process. But also, he's got a purpose for each and every one of us during our time on this planet. And so he's got somewhere he's bringing me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's public office, some potential political office, I see which it. I hope I to see it. Hoped is the case. <laughs> but everything I go through, every trial, every tribulation, every obstacle, every joy is bringing me closer to that end goal mm. of sanctification. But also it's helping me carry out my earthly purpose that he set before me using my gifts and talents and passions um, that he's instilled in me. Um, and so he's all things work together for good for those who love mm. God. I mean, that's mm. like my mission verse, man, after this mm. summer. Romans eight twenty eight. Everything has a higher purpose. Mm. And I think of the story of Joshua, right, where his brothers um, basically kidnapped him and shipped him off to Egypt in the Old Testament. That was Joshua, right? That was, uh, that was, uh, that Daniel. was Joseph. 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 Yeah. Joseph. Glad I clarified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joseph. His brothers basically kidnapped him and shipped him off to Egypt. And he was so excellent at his work, he ended up becoming, was assistant to the, the Pharaoh. Yeah. And God gave him this vision, right, of this drought, or was it a famine? Both. Both that were coming. And so he stocked up all this food because he had that foreknowledge from God. And uh, his brothers ended up having to flee to Egypt or take refuge in Egypt during that famine. Mm. And he saved his brother's lives. The brothers that exiled him to Egypt that because they were jealous of him, he saved their lives. And he said, hey, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So the enemy throws stuff at us all the time. But God turns seemingly bad things into <laughs> good somehow he uses them for good yeah and, it, and we can't see it and i think that's that's where the trust comes in because it's not blind belief but it's we know what he's promised us he's promised that exact fact that god works everything for good for those who love him like we know that okay that is truth but it's almost like a step of like every step we take is a act of showing God we trust him it is you and know that was my whole summer man just saying God it doesn't feel good but I trust you it doesn't mm. feel good but I trust you and then I closed out the summer going on Fox News I know we talked about oh that, yes which was like a huge 
blessing of opportunity just to get yeah. to go on cool experience platform and talk to Raymond Arroyo on the Ingram angle um, about sort of the COVID restrictions that are being put in place or have been put in place by A&M. But again, it's just another reminder of God's faithfulness. It's like, okay, again, what I was saying earlier, he's bringing me somewhere that I can't see, but everything I've been through, uh, I was like, (laughs) early this summer, we're just dealing with everything. I was like, like, this sucks. I can't believe I'm in this situation. And I can't help but feel like now God was just laughing. Like, mm. dude, you have only you no knew. idea <laughs> yeah. what's coming your way. Like, if you could see the plans I have for you, you would trust me more. <laughs> mm. And I'm able to look back at that definitely this summer, but other things in my life and be like, he's always been faithful. Mm. He's always brought me out of what I thought was a really good situation and brought me into a better situation. Um, so I just got to trust him to lead. And when I feel conviction's or uncomfortable, say it may feel uncomfortable, but if I'm having this conviction and I'm feeling this strongly about something, there's a reason. He's leading me to something else. And it's for the best. Awesome. Boom. Mm-hmm. Boom. Dude, Even you. Even though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, Ooh. I'll fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. What is that Psalm? Caleb know? I forget. I think it's in like the 20s, like yeah. 21 or 31, somewhere I think around it might that be range. 24. I think I it's in know. the Bible somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah, well, Gage, one. man, that, I mean, I, de- I, I, we, great way to just wrap up this episode and, um, Definitely want to discuss your time on Fox News more and, and those little things because I think that's awesome. But ultimately, that was nerve wracking. But this might have been even more nerve wracking. Really? <laughs> Coming here with you, bro. This is <laughs> you're a little bit intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> How so? And, and just intensity or what? You just know your stuff, man. You're mm. so you're so laid back. I'm like, dude. I don't know. Like, you're just too comfortable. It's like you've done this before or something. I'm over here like, I got to look as cool as Bailey does, as relaxed as Bailey. I cross my legs. I don't know. <laughs> How do I sit? Oh, All man. I'm really trying to do is, uh, like, steward the conversation in, in, in a way where you feel comfortable to share what God's laying on your heart right now. Because, honestly... I wouldn't want to hear what I have to say, but if it's based in the truth of reality, just like I feel like this last little bit of the conversation, like the whole conversation for sure, but when you're telling this story of kind of your own personal redemption through Jesus and these moments and this doubt, this very raw, true stuff is it's so spirit filled because it's not only just words that God is speaking through you. But it's experiences of God moving that you're describing. Yeah, and I just want to remind people, man, like He's for you. Mm. He's got He's got your good in mind. And I questioned that. Like I said, this summer, so much of the summer was spent questioning. But at the end, I was like, Yeah, like it's for my good. Like following this calling, right? Is for my good. It might be uncomfortable for a while, but it's for my good. Or it may not line up with what you think is the right way for your life or what you want the result to be or where you want to go. Yeah, Proverbs, right? A man 
uh, devises his steps, but the Lord directs his path. Mm. And sometimes you're like, I'm going to do this. And God's like, nope, redirect. <laughs> right. It's like if it, you can you can make your own decision to step, but if the path turns and you're like, nah, I want to walk in the thorns and the branches and all this <laughs> stuff, you're going to get scratched up. Yeah, that's the whole story of Jonah in the well, right? Mm. God told him to go somewhere, and he decided, no, I'm going to go over here. And the well swallowed him up and took him <laughs> where he was supposed to be going. That's yeah. what God does to us. Sometimes. He'll give us nudges. Yeah. But uh, it, it's wild, man. I, I'm just so thankful for even be able to sit here and have this conversation with you right now. Like, And that's part of what this is all about. Like, Showing that, like, I mean, you're not a famous person. You know, neither am I. Neither is Caleb. But it's like God's telling a story with all of creation. He's telling a story, mm-hmm. and it's going to be glorious. You know that feeling you get at like the end of a great, you know, Tarantino movie or something like that, where it's <laughs> in just game yeah, Avengers. <laughs> in game it all comes together, or like uh, uh, who knows, Interstellar, yeah. Uh, well, that movie was trippy, dude. That, that feeling probably times a million when you see the freaking universe aligning and things coming to the final conclusion of Jesus' reign over all of creation. Yeah, I think a little preview of that is probably after Christ resurrected, he was talking mm. with the two guys on the road to Emmaus, and they were like talking about his crucifixion. He's like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, haven't you heard? Like, the guy we thought right. was the Messiah died. <laughs> and he's like, ah. And then all Scripture <laughs> says is he, like, unveiled the prophecies regarding himself. Mm. And I can't help but think, like, he kind of did what you're saying, which is, like, walk through the beginning of time and, like, how he was there through it all and was orchestrating human history mm. and, like, all the way up until – because, I mean, you can trace – the genealogy of Christ back to Adam. I mean, yeah. like it's insane, and it will be known. And so I can't imagine. I can't help but think he was just kind of pa- unpacking all that for these two guys, saying like, "Yeah, and then like I died three days ago, and <laughs> and now I'm here, and so that's kind of the story." And they're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is pretty incredible. It blows my mind sometimes. I know you've mentioned this to me. You put it this way, but God is like on this massive throne like just like looking at the world and like working things out and i'm like crazy like just to think about that how Mm. it all comes together and one day it'll all make sense even things that we don't understand like he'll say oh well that happened to lead to this and then that opened this door and that caused this piece to fall into place and and all while you had choice in it i just nudged you along yeah (laughs) yeah that gets into the whole concept of free will versus God's sovereignty. Oh, right? it's Which both. It's both. It's like, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yeah. The way yeah. I put it is like, if you think about it this way, we are a player in our existence. We move. We move things. Things change. I am, we, we, Caleb and I invite you on this podcast. You come on here. Now people are hearing it. That is a decision we made, the free will decision to come and do this right now. Me saying these words are free will decisions. In the same way God interacts with the earth, he's just a much bigger, more powerful player. And if you look at the word power, it's actually the definition of power is the ability to enact your will on something. Mm. And so 
God can be all-powerful and choose not to enact his will. But what he's going to do is enact his will in ways that help his people. So he's going to build, essentially build a bridge over some water or, you know, set something into place to when you walk and you meet. Like, how many times did we meet on campus? Just randomly. Well, how we met in the first place was just so interesting. We had that mutual friend from Austin, and then he told me about you and apparently told you about me. (laughs) And then I came and visited your church, and I'm just sitting there and asked you your name, and you said Bailey. And I was like, (laughs) dude, I've heard about you. Like, are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Dude, well, thank you so much for coming on here. I hope this, like, blesses someone's day. Um and dude, you are a wise man and dude, let's do another one. Bro, let's do we have so much more to talk yourself. about. We could talk so. for a long time. <laughs> yeah, let's let's set it up. All right. Let's set it up. We'll set it up soon. So sounds good to me, man. Um, it's been an honor to be on your podcast, talking with you, and thanks for helping us get set up, Caleb. And more nervous than being on Fox News. <laughs> wow, I feel honored, bro. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I knew you were a pro with this stuff, so I was like. I'm stepping into, like, expert territory right here. <laughs> We're so professional. <laughs> <laughs> I can only hope to come out okay. Yeah. I guess hopefully I did. I, I guess that's the kind of uh, the test of humility, I guess, is, like, I never really think of myself that way. Like, I probably think of myself worse <laughs> than I should. Like, I'm telling Caleb all the time, like, I've cut so many corners. Like, <laughs> we should be doing this, this, and this better. Like, I failed this many times. Like, and focusing on that. And I guess, bro, I know. didn't even know how to use the mic. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, just, I, I just want to reiterate, like, that fact that God directs, like, our path. Like, He's going to make you interact with people, like, and, and let it happen because it's going to be a fun story. Like, think of your life as a fun story. Like, not you as the main character, though. A bigger story. Because whenever you you say, okay, my life is the story that I'm living, instead of my life is within the cosmic story of reality itself, which one sounds like a better movie? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. <laughs> Hands down, yeah. But, brother, we got to get to Bible study here. We are... We're late, but it's definitely definitely worth it, man. Hey, likewise. And, Thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah. I appreciate it. Dude, you're the man. <laughs> That's you, you're man. The man. That's you. <laughs> it's been fun. Alrighty, guys. Hey, if you haven't already, go check out Dr. Direct Nutrition. Google it. Get yourself 100% pharmaceutical-grade supplements, all that you want. All right. Cue the music, Caleb. That's Dr. Direct Nutrition dot com you won't regret it if you have anxiety issues sleep issues boom there you go dr direct